I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to be able to stand before you this evening. I hope that as we go through this 12th chapter of Romans, that the things that I have to say will be true. I hope that you'll find ways that they can benefit your life, things that you can apply to your life. And I hope that, uh, lastly, you'll enjoy our study. I hope that you'll enjoy the time as we go through uh, this 12th chapter. If you remember, as we've gone through the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters of the book, or yeah, the book of Romans have, have been this theological reasoning about the gospel. The entire theme of Romans is the gospel. And in our first 11 studies, we talked about why we need the gospel. We talked about what the gospel does. We talked about who has access to the gospel. I think this is best summarized in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So as we think about this theme, think about this idea, it's vital that we understand the first 11 chapters so that we can apply chapters 12 through 16. So we're transitioning the book from reasoning, logic, to application. And so what I want to do for the first part of our study this evening is go back briefly, like five, maybe ten minutes, and summarize what we talked about in these first 11 chapters. And as we go through this, I hope you'll give me a little bit of grace because I'm summarizing what we've covered in 11 weeks in five minutes. And every week for the past 11 weeks, we've summarized what probably would have taken a month to cover in 30 minutes. So this is going to be a short summary, but I think it's something that we have to cover because we have to understand the first 11 chapters to know where we're going in the last chapters of this book. So the first four chapters talk about the need for justification. The need for people to be justified because God is righteous, God is just, and because of that he must punish sin. Anything that is wrong cannot be in the presence of God, and it has to be punished if he's going to be a just God. Well, therein lies the problem. Mankind is unrighteous. All of us, whether we're Jews, whether we're Greek, none of us have lived up to this standard that God has for us. So we all deserve punishment. We all deserve damnation. And without this justification, we would all be separated from God forever. I think this is best summarized in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we all need this justification. We all need the gospel. And the next chapters, chapters 5 through 8, are going to talk about the implication, what happens whenever we obey that gospel. What can we expect? What are the blessings that we get from those things? Number one, we can have peace with God. 
We're no longer at odds with God. Our sin is no longer separating us from God, but we can have peace with God. We are no longer slaves to sin, but rather we're slaves to righteousness. And in eternity, we have that hope. We have the ability to live forever with Jesus. We become heirs to Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 35 The Bible says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So we have this need to be justified because of sin. We have the ability to be justified through the gospel. And then we have these things, these blessings that we get because of that justification. And no one can take those things away from us. There's not man... There's not trials, there's not distress, there's not persecutions, there's nothing. Nothing except for ourselves can remove us from that justification of Christ. Through Christ, rather. So most recently we've covered chapters 9 through 11. And in these we read about God's longing for a relationship with His people. His people. His people have changed throughout time. It started out, God's people were a bloodline. Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses, Abraham got the land and then he was promised the nation. Well, that's the nation, the children of Israel, all the children of Abraham. They were God's people. But now, God's people have become the spiritual bloodline of Abraham. In that, if we will display the same faith and obedience that Abraham had, do what God tells us to do, then we can be God's children. We can have access to to eternal life. Romans 10 verses 12 through 13 for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter who our parents were or who our ancestors were. What matters is that we display this faith and obedience. So there's the five or ten minute summary of the first 11 chapters of Romans. And as we transition from this reasoning to the application, I want you to bear in mind all the things that make sense about the gospel. All the small, intricate things in God's plan that make it so marvelous yet so simple. And it's because of those things we can apply these last chapters So Romans chapter 12 is going to cover how the gospel should influence our everyday lives. How does the gospel affect decisions that you and I make every day? And so as we go through this, I really hope to bring out the application uh, in this chapter. So the first thing, the first way that the gospel influences our lives is that it leads us to become a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. 
Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So because of this, you should do this. Because of what? Because of the first 11 chapters that we just covered. Because of all these blessings, all this reasoning and logic behind the gospel, we should present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, as I thought about the idea of being a living sacrifice, I couldn't help but think about Ornan back in, in First Chronicles. And I've heard, I'd never heard this taught on my entire life, and I've heard it twice probably in the past year. But what's going on here is King David had taken this census of Israel, and God did not want him to take this census. And so there was going to be consequences because of this. And this angel comes to David, or rather this prophet Gad comes to David and he tells him, if you want to avoid the consequences of taking the census that you shouldn't have done, here's what you need to do. You need to make a sacrifice to God over at the threshing floor, an elevator, flour mill is how I like to think of it. And so David goes and Ornan, the man who owns this threshing floor, he explains, David explains to him what is going on. And this is what Ornan says. He says, take it, take this threshing floor and let my Lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for a grain offering. I give it all. So Ornan says, you can just have it. <laughs> You're the king. Just take it. But listen to what David tells him. He says, no. I will, buy it for, I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. That cost me nothing. David paid full price to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And as I think about what Paul is telling us here about being a living sacrifice, and I think about Jesus Jesus paid full price. Jesus paid full price so that we could have access to this gospel. And Paul writes to us and he says, you need to be a living sacrifice. You've got to pay the price now. What does it cost us to be a Christian? You know, it's easy to think about, well, we live in America, things are easy. You know, it's, it doesn't cost us persecution, it doesn't cost... It can cost us things, folks. What about our time? Think about our time. The, one of the most precious things that we have on earth is our time. Being a Christian should cost us a lot of time. Everything that we do, everywhere that we go, it should all be influenced and we should all be willing to sacrifice that to be a Christian. Maybe it is costing you something. Is it costing you enough of that something? Is your life too easy? Is it too easy being a Christian? If we're allowing our spiritual life to guide us over our physical life, then we're going to be sacrificing things. 
If we're, if we're truly taking this idea of being a living sacrifice for God, and if we're prioritizing spiritual things over physical things, then it's got to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. And so what I want us to think about as we think about these first two chapters is what's the idea, what's the concept of these first two verses? It's because of God's merciful plan, it only makes sense that we should serve Him. It's reasonable. It's logical that we should serve Him. So think about what that's costing you. Is it costing you anything to serve God? Is it costing you anything to be a Christian? Be different. The impact that, of being a living sacrifice for God is that we should be different. We should be different than the rest of the world. We should have a mind that is not conformed, but rather a mind that is transformed, as it says in verse number 2. <clears throat> Verses 3 through 8. Starting in verse number 3, Paul writes, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy, in proportion to one's faith. If service, in the act of serving. Or the one who teaches, in the act of teaching. Or the one who exhorts, in the work of exhortation. The one who gives with generosity. The one who is in leadership with diligence. The one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul makes this analogy of the church and a spiritual body rather the church to a physical body and it's not the first time that he's written to different people and used this analogy he uses it in lots of different places but every time that he makes this analogy he refers to Christ as the head and he always refers to the members of the church being different all being different having different gifts Able to do different things. No one being the same. Let's look at the example in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse number 18. He's writing, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here. He says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as He has pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Before this, He had gone... And he had written, and he had said, what if you were all a bunch of ears? <laughs> or what if you were all one part of the body? Well, if we were all a bunch of feet, we may be really good at running, but we're not going to be good at doing anything once we get where we're going, right? There's strength in being different. There's strength in having these different gifts. There's not many tasks that can be completed effectively and efficiently by only one part of your body. Okay? Like I said, you may be really good at running, but what are you going to do once you get there? It's helpful to have hands. It's helpful to have ears. It's helpful to have eyes. And that's what Paul is telling this church in Rome. He's saying, look, you're all different. 
I know that some of you have the ability to prophesy. I know that some of you are really good servants. Some of you are good at teaching, encouraging. Some of you are good at giving, leading, showing mercy. Do your best at those things. Do your absolute best at those things. And so my call to action for us tonight is look at this list, and I'm going to make it a little bit easier. Look at this list of six things and identify what you can do because everyone here can do one of these six things and then do your best at it. (laughs) If you want to be a servant or if you want to provide service to people, then be the best servant that you can be. If you want to be a teacher, then practice and practice and practice and study and study and be the best teacher that you can be. If you want to be a giver, then give. Give cheerfully. But as we do those things and as we become the best we can be at service or the best that we can be at showing mercy, remember that if we were all a bunch of feet, we'd be good at running. Remember that you can be a good teacher. But what goes really well with a good teacher is a good encourager. You can be a really good leader, but what goes really good with a good leader is a good servant. And remember that just because the people in these pews are different, just because one person may be good at something and another person may be good at something else, doesn't mean that we can't all work together. Because if we will, if we'll work together to, a, a, to accomplish the common goal of the gospel, then we will be a lot more effective and a lot more efficient in doing that. So the concept of these verses is to remember that everyone is different. <laughs> everyone has a different gift. Thankfully. Everyone is good at something else. The action, what we need to do with that, is that we need to identify what we can be good at. You need to go home and you need to think about, what can I do better? What can I do to serve God? What can I do to help spread the gospel? And then, you need to be the absolute best at that that you can be. The absolute best. So, the last part of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, depending on how you count it, there's somewhere between 30 and 32 different commands or qualities that Paul is going to write about Christians, okay? And so rather than go through each one of these things and talk about each of these things individually, What I want us to think about as we go through these things is how many of these things are suggestions? (laughs) How many of these things are things that we read and we go, man, I wish I was more humble. I I want us to think about these things and apply these things to our life. Go home and study. Just pick five of these things and study them throughout the week. Study these, these last verses in Romans chapter 12 and think about How many of these things are present in my life? 
How many of these things do I actually implement into my life? Because it's really easy to just read through these things and not understand just how deep they are. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse number 9. Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So here's questions that I think we can ask ourselves about these verses. Are we hypocrites? Is our love genuine? Paul writes that if we're going to be truly impacted by the gospel, if the gospel is taking its full effect on us, then our love will be genuine. We won't be hypocritical. Do we, do we flirt with evil? Do we like to toe the line, so to speak? Or do we truly abhor what is evil? Do the people in these pews at this church, your brethren, know that you love them? Are you willing to show that? To show the love to the people that are in this church? The brotherly affection that we read about here. What did you do last week to spread the gospel? Did you do anything to help spread the gospel? Or are we slothful in zeal? When was the last time that you opened your home to someone? When was the last time that you displayed this hospitality that we read about here? Romans 12, verses 14 through 18. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight and repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, the word that we read there, bless, in, in verse number 14, means to praise or speak well of. And really, if you just take about verse 14 through the rest of the chapter, all of those things go against our human nature. <laughs> if someone is running you down into the ground, if someone is talking bad about you, it's really hard to want to say a good thing about them. Right? And, and I, remember, I remember being taught the phrase growing up, and I think it's off a movie somewhere, but if you don't have anything good to say, you don't say anything at all. Well, Romans chapter 12 says, <laughs> you do say something, and you say something good. We have to bless. We have to speak good of everyone, whether they're treating us good or whether they're not treating us good. The next question, and this goes along with, with showing the brotherly affection that we read about in the previous verses, but are we involved, involved enough in each other's lives to share emotions with each other? 
In verse number 15, whenever Paul writes and he says, you rejoice with those who, who rejoice, and you weep with those who weep. That's really hard to do if our relationship with people is kept at arm's length, right? It's, it's important. It's vital that we get to know each other. It's vital that we have people into our homes. It's more than, hi, how are you doing this evening? It's good to see you. We have to know each other enough that when the hard times come, we can help each other. When the good times come, we can celebrate together. That's what the gospel does to us. That's what the gospel, how the gospel influences our lives. Number three, humility usually equals harmony. We read here about not being haughty. We talk about associating with the lowly. That's against our human nature. You know, Mitch, Mitch prayed this evening, and he said, forgive us for the sins that we commit in arrogance. And I think about all the times in my life that we walk around and we think, I am here and everyone else is here. My state in life is better than everyone else's, and theirs is down here. It's really hard to get along with people if that's our mentality. Our mentality should be, they are better than me. The people in this room are better than me. We have to esteem ourselves lower. Everyone else we should esteem, esteem higher. We must resist our human nature. You know, as we think about things that we see on the news... Verse number 18 really speaks to me. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's really easy for me to want to argue, <laughs> to want to tell other people how D-U-M-B that they're being. Right? Whenever we, we see things on the news, what are these people thinking? How can you do that? How can you think that? The Bible says we can't be that way. We have to be peaceably. We have to live peaceably. Romans 12, verses 19 through 21. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then the summary, do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, this goes against our human nature. And that's what the gospel calls us to do. The gospel calls us to resist human nature. <laughs> it's not evil for evil. It's not about getting revenge. It's about understanding that God is just. God's not going to let evil go. He can't. God will have punishment for people who deserve punishment. But as much as we can do, we need to make sure that we're living peaceably. We need to make sure that we're loving. We need to make sure that if our enemy is hungry, that we feed him. If he's thirsty, that we give him a drink. And it's really easy to read these things and it's really easy for me to tell you what we need to be doing. It's really hard to do these things. 
What can we do for someone that has hurt us? What can we do for someone that we don't get along with? So as we summarize what we've covered here in Romans chapter 12, going along with this same idea of concept, action, and impact, God requires our life. The gospel requires us to be a living sacrifice for Him. What does that mean? What do we need to do with that? Well, we need to take the gifts that He's given us and we need to use them. We need to understand that they're different and that if we'll work together, we can really accomplish a lot of things as the church. And the impact that it has, verses 9-21, through 21, is that those qualities, those commands that we read about, they will become prevalent in our life. Whenever we have an enemy, guess what? It'll become second nature to feed him. It'll be second nature to give him a drink. And if we will allow the gospel to flourish in our lives, if we will allow our, our bodies and everything that dictates our mind and our thought process to be engulfed in the gospel, then we will be a living sacrifice and we will be able to serve God to the best of our ability. The best of our ability. So that's our study this evening of Romans chapter 12. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I really hope that there's something that you can get out of it and that you can apply to your life. As I said, the the book is taking a turn from this logical reasoning and, and debate, argumentative style of writing to here's how we apply these things. So I hope that you'll take these things home and I hope that you'll apply something to your life. If you're here this evening and you need the prayers of the church, we would be happy uh, to pray with you, pray for you. Or if you're here this evening and you would like to be baptized, we would also be happy to help with that. If there's one of either class, please come as together we stand and sing.